by way of introduction and to get to the point of what we want to talk about today, this panel is going to be about your personal journey into manhood, uh, journey with Christ into what, what we believe manhood is and should look like, the lessons you've learned along the way, what God has done for you, what's been pivotal in that journey and how we can glean from that. So if you could, in one word, describe your journey to manhood, if you had to Give me one word to say my journey to manhood from where I was before to what I understand it to be. What's the one word? Process. Process. Faith. Faith. Change. Change. Okay. So now we're going to go back and unpack. So process. JC, tell us about the process. Uh, Well, first of all, um, my initial time of endeavoring to commit my life to Christ was at the age of 15. Uh, Did not have anyone to disciple me. So in my Baptist church that I had grown up in, I went forward, was serious about giving my life to Christ, but uh, got water baptized, but had no one come alongside. And so, of course, I migrated back to my old ways. And then when I went to college, uh, God reintroduced himself to me and interrupted my life. And my freshman year, uh, as I'm getting prepared for school, I'm just all of a sudden conviction of sin came over my life. And... I just broke down and started crying, and uh, I became very acutely aware that I had lived a life of sin before God, and I was crying out and asking him to forgive me, uh, prayed, went to class that day, thought I could talk with the animals, relate to the birds, they'd come up to me, everything. <laughs> um, but again, I didn't have somebody walk alongside of me, and so my, my freshman year ended, and then my sophomore year came, I transferred schools, and that was the year that I ran into a guy by the name of Bill Seipel, and he came along and began discipling me and helping me to get into the Word on a regular basis. And from that point on, I just started really growing. Amen. Do you ever feel like less, less of a man, less of a Christian, because you had a moment where you feel like you did it, but then you fell away, then you had to come back? I don't at all. I actually, I'm thankful for that because it helps me to realize and understand that how vital it is to have others walking alongside you as opposed to trying to do it on your own. And I think us as men, we do try to do a lot on our own, and it's a recipe for defeat. Amen. Amen. Lamont, your word was faith. Yes. Tell me about that. I got saved late in life at 35, and there was this guy way back when, uh, his name was Kenneth Hagen. Hmm. You probably remember him, Duke. But his big thing on the airways back then was, faith comes by hearing. And so I latched onto that, his saying. And then I met this guy, I say, you know, uh, I say that uh, sort of anecdotally, I, I met this guy named Rice Brooks, Dr. Rice Brooks, who is the found, one of the three founders of every nation. And he was, I joined Grace when it was 200 people uh, about 22 years ago. And Rice Dr. Rice Brooks used to come and, and, and preach to us sometimes. And he did this series. I was a young Christian at the time. He did this series about how uh, God wants you to have a great life. And I'm like, yeah, I, I want one of those. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? It sounds good. And, 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 and Rice would said, he says, and then he would challenge us. He said, how are you going to have a great life if you don't have faith? And so, again... You know, this, this idea of, of where faith was the, center, the centerpiece of, of access to the great, great life that Christ has for, for us, and that if I heard the word enough, my faith would grow, Kenneth Hagin, uh, I think, you know, if I had to boil it down, those two things together were transformational for me. Amen. So you start to touch on change, which was actually Pastor Duke's word. So your journey to manhood was one you would say marked by change. Can you elaborate? Yeah, I'm gonna came to Christ really in the 1960s in college. Uh, I think it's one of those things that's interesting because probably the first time I really heard about Christ and responded to Him was in the third grade, and yet went for a long period of time where uh, really didn't have any encounter with Christ at all until somebody approached me on the college campus. From the time that I really um, 
invested my life, gave my life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there were a series of, what is it, a sine curve, just up and down, close to him, far away, close to him, far away. But at the point at which I really invested my life, gave my life over to him, my one desire, and this is something I would commend to all of us, was to be used by him. And from the point at which I made, the, made that and desired that more than anything else, God began to bring me into a series of uh, a process, but a series of things that worked change in my life. And it included, it incorporated everything. I, I was, it incorporated uh, learning how to follow Christ. It learned how to, how to read the word, as Pastor Victor was talking about. But then he used things like the United States Army. He used things like marriage. He used things like relationships of all different kinds to begin to form and bring me increasingly into a conformity to where he could use me, which was my desire. So change was, was the process God took me through to make me useful to him so he could, uh, he could fulfill that desire to be used by him. Amen. It's almost like we're really flown in the spirit because all three of you, it's almost a process of faith that results in change in us. And we get the benefit as this congregation to see uh, what is much closer to the finished product than what was there many years ago. That means we're old and getting ready to die. You said it. I didn't say it. You said it. I didn't say it. <laughs> And I know your guys' stories, and the guys sitting up here were not the guys from a couple years ago. Uh, many, I don't know. I don't want to. Okay. Moving on. Uh, some number of years ago. Um, and there was a marked transformation in each of you from what you were, from your understanding of what a man was then to what it is now. So open question to whomever, talking about what you thought it meant to be a man, to be a father, to be a husband, to be a whatever, before you knew Christ, what those behaviors looked like, what those thoughts, those actions, to what it looks like now in your understanding, and what changed in the middle? Um, for me, was during my sophomore year of, of college, I read a passage of scripture it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And that's Proverbs 14, 12. And it says that same thing again in Proverbs 16, 25. And I thought, the Bible says the same thing twice. It must be important. And so <laughs> I thought, I, I don't want to be thinking that I'm right and it's just the pathway to death. And so I started thinking about manhood and everything and realizing that society puts, um, I guess, weight on what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, how much money you make, how many women you've been with, how athletic you are, all these different things that we as males tend to esteem. But then I thought, if that gets taken away from me, does my manhood get taken away from me? And it, it made me really start thinking that man has got to be something else. And so as I continued to study the word, I began to realize that manhood and Christ likeness are synonymous. And so there's no such thing as being a real man if you're not really emulating Christ. And for that matter, being a real woman either. Uh, but as I continued to grow in my understanding in that and just really studying the life of Christ, the life of Jesus and how he related to the father, I began to see that my manhood was rooted and grounded in really knowing him. Oh. You know, I, I would say that that um, what I've learned being a Christian man is that uh, being soft and gentle is actually the definition of manhood that I've, I've latched on to. Uh, and it's, it's kind of contrary because I grew up in the inner city where it was all about being hard <laughs> and being tough and being aggressive and, uh, you know, being a man. Um, so, you know, I brought that, getting saved late in life at, at 35, into becoming a new believer 
And over the, and so when I first got married, I was hard and I was tough and I was cool and I was the man. Um, and that went really well because at year six, we were nearly divorced. Um, and so when God saved my marriage, he began to teach me how to become a godly man. And so, you know, after that reconciliation post-near divorce, I've come to find that, you know what? I don't have to be hard. That's actually working against me. I don't have to be tough. It's okay to be thoughtful. The word talks about being gentle. The word talks about being generous. The word talks about being patient with my wife. I don't have to say the first thing I want to say to her anymore. I don't have to demand that she does this, that, or the other, whereas before I would have. So, again, uh, that, in a few words, you know, manhood for me as a Christian man has become the exact opposite of what manhood was for me growing up in the inner city. That's great. So, this will happen, right? We will come to a men's conference, a Christian men's conference. We'll talk about the heart of God, and we will, we will share that vulnerability, compassion, tenderness. These are good qualities in a man, and we should embrace those things. But surely the church should not be full of weak, soft men, right? How do I reconcile what you just said? And Jesus, right, he, he out of compassion, performed the miracles to serve the people. God so loved the world that he sent his son to us. We should be vulnerable. Pastor June preached about serving our wives by understanding their need for relationship, right? And yet you got Pastor Chris up here making me want to go fight somebody and thump it on his chest and get me fired up. How do I reconcile those two worlds as a man trying to figure out, do I have to give up all my, all my passion, all my fire, all my manliness and become weak and soft? Or is there something that reconciles these can, can, can I follow up on that? I'm sorry, dude. So, you know, I, I work out a lot, you know, lift a lot of weights. Used to, I did martial arts for 30 years. And, you know, so very, you know, physically aggressive, if you will. But to answer AJ's question, it actually takes a lot more strength for me to be gentle than it did for me to be harsh. I think, I think the, to add, to kind of three-dimensionalize what you're saying, my upbringing was, I, I grew up with a good relationship with my, my human father. My dad was, we just celebrated the 75th anniversary of the landing at Omaha Beach at D-Day. Well, he was wounded on June 6th uh, as part of the 5th Ranger Battalion going into Omaha Beach. So I grew up with a, gen a gentleman who was a genuine, uh, very courageous man, uh, and, but just of that generation. I think the thing that really brings the gentleness that my brother is talking about in, in hand in hand with the courage and strength and determination, and the two have to go together that uh, there was a book years ago written by a, a gentleman. It's called The Velvet-Covered Brick. And there's something about that combination of strength and gentleness that characterizes Jesus Christ. The way that we become that is by what this, what this conference has been about, is we need a revelation of the fact that we are sons. We are defined by our sonship. And one of the ways that I know I came to, to realize that was, was a revelation, really, of God as my father when he spoke to me at a time where he pulled me aside shortly after I, I was a Christian, only about a year and a half or so. I was drafted into the Army, back when we had a draft, before the volunteer military. Drafted into the Army, I met my dear wife, we got married, and two weeks later I was in Vietnam. Well, I got to Vietnam after two weeks of marriage, and I had a running argument with God. Did not Scripture say 
that a man shall not go to war until he's been married for a year. That's right, God. I never will forget. I was, I was a month in, in the, out in the bush when I arguing this scripture with God. I found out later there was a teacher who said, you know, the scriptures say that very well because after a year, a man will want to go to war. But <laughs> want to go kill somebody. Uh, <laughs> But I was arguing with God. I was wrestling with this fact that God had me doing something that everything in me did not want to do. And the more frustrated I became, it finally got to a point on a patrol I was at. I was so frustrated, something fell out of my pack. I was putting it in one of my pockets and I dislocated my knee. And uh, after hobbling back to where we were supposed to be the next morning, was put on a fire base to kind of recuperate. And there my argument with God continued, and he opened up to me, brought me very sovereignly to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Every son who is disciplined is loved by his father. And where there is no discipline, it's a sign of illegitimacy. We won't quote what the King James calls it. But that basically was one of the first realizations I had that when God was dealing with my life, whether it was to make me gentle and sensitive, which I too had to learn after about 10 years in marriage, (laughs) or whether it was learning how to stand up and be courageous, I had to learn that it was something God worked into me by dealing with me as a son. So I think it's by virtue of our sonship, and 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 I would just I just been thinking about this the last since we've been part of this conference. We can ask the Father to reveal our sonship. Yes, yes. He will make Himself known and make us known to ourselves as sons. It's not just something that God wants to make that known to us, and in the process of doing so form something in us. For some of you, it may be gentleness. It may be a sensitivity. For for all of us, we need to learn that. But for some of us, we need to learn courage. We need to learn determination. We need to learn how to follow through on our commitments. Can I say one thing? God deals with us as sons, and when he does so, he reveals himself as our father. JC? You know, to that point, I was thinking about uh, this concept of the paradox of the kingdom. And the kingdom is full of paradoxes. I mean, you think about Jesus himself. He's the lion and the lamb. Uh, in order to gain life, you've got to lose it. In order to receive, you need to learn how to give. And in order to be exalted, you've got to humble yourself. The, 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 the kingdom is so full of paradoxes that it seems like it would be contradictory, but it's not. It expands upon our understanding and it makes us a broader person. As we take the time to do, as Pastor Victor said, study the scriptures, get an understanding so that we can become deeper and wider men. That's great. Pastor Duke, you started to touch on sonship. And we know God is the father. Pastor Chris talked about that last night. God is father. Um, And we understand this idea of having a spiritual father. What does having a spiritual father look like to you and what does it mean to you and who are some of yours? No, go ahead. Go ahead, JC. Okay. Uh, for, for me, like Bill Seiple, the guy I mentioned, he was one of the first spiritual fathers I had to help me to get rooted and grounded in the word. And throughout the course of my life, God has placed others in my life, uh, of course, none the least of which is our, our own pastor, Pastor Brett Fuller. And uh, there's another man, when I moved here to the D.C. area, uh, I was formerly living in North Carolina, but when I moved here to the D.C. area, I came in contact with a man by the name of Richard Enrico. And he poured into my life, and really, he's a fiery guy, and he challenged me to be a man of the scriptures, to be a man of faith, to be a man who was not afraid to stand up for the truth in the face of cultural pressure and the, what society was becoming, but not to fold into it, but to take a hold of, of Romans 12, 1, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. And so he was somebody who came along and really instilled a sense of, of courage and, and, and fire on the inside of me. And pa- Pastor Brett has been someone who has really been a, a, a 
if you will, a paragon of integrity. And, and I say integrity in the sense of wholeness, you know, being the whole package. And that's something that is, is very much worth emulating in, as far as in fathering someone. Yeah, I think I think for me the the spiritual father influences that I've had, the first gentleman that I had ter- proved to be over years a fairly deeply flawed individual, and as I was thinking about that today, I realized you know God can use all kinds of people to form something in us. In this case, though, what this gentleman deposited in me was he was the first person who really introduced me to how God can use relationships to form us, to speak truthfully to us, to uh, show us how to open our or help us to open our lives in a way that something can be deposited whereby I can be changed. And one of the things I, would, I, I just would say with regard to relationships, and that means all relationships, I, I, God uses the Bible, I think God uses circumstance, and I'd say the third thing he uses are relationships to work real change in us. Your marriage being one of the primary ones. God wants to use every relationship, and that's one of the things this gentleman, as a spiritual father, he was very much into how do you work to build lasting relationships. He instilled that in, a desire for that, an understanding for that, and it was a deposit that he left that carries me now to where I've been walking with Pastor Brett in, in one way or another since uh, 1997. Uh, some of the men in this room, David, uh, watch David Hermes is going to, uh, to Denver. I've known him since he was a boy. He and his, he and his mom and dad and my wife and I have been friends since the, uh, wow, 1970s. So these kinds of relationships, God uses them to build something in us. And we need to learn how and desire and even ask God for the kind of relationships that can form something in us. So how do I, all right, I'm sold. I want a spiritual father. I, yes. What do I do? Like, I'm sitting out here, and I'm hearing you guys, and I'm looking at the fruit of your life, and I'm thinking, I need that spiritual father. Like, can it be Pastor Brett? Can I, like, go, just go to his house? What do I do? How do I get one? <laughs> answer that question. Don't go to his house. That answer is no, you cannot. Do not go to Pastor yeah, okay. Brett's house. <laughs> Uh, it's in story form. Uh, when I got here to, we, my wife and I moved here from LA. Kids were one and three, I want to say. We'd been married uh, six years. Um, and I was a Christian for all of six years at that point in time. I've never had a spiritual father per se, but let me back up a little bit. When I think of a fa- in this context, my spiritual father, I'm thinking, of, you know, who's that guy that I can look to that's going to help me distinguish between right and wrong and on the job and at home and raising my kids and make choices and so forth, right? Who's that guy, right? Um, so the, my natural father was not that guy. Um, and I got here, and like J.C., I got up under Pastor Brett, and, and Pastor Duke actually was preaching here at that time, and, and up under Pastor Duke. So in a sense, Pastor Brett and Pastor Duke uh, served that, that place for me in my life for the last 20-something years. But the other thing about this church, it's sharing life together. Yeah, that's good. I've shared life with J.C. For, since our kids were babies. It's not like we talk every day. But we've shared life. We've walked together for many, many years together. Our lives have rubbed up against one another. Uh, Sean, Sean Perkins, the list goes on. And so I would just encourage you guys, is, is it really that one person? Great. That's your spiritual father, perhaps. But in this kind of community, the way we do life here at GCC, if you begin to open up and share your life with the others who are walking alongside you, You'll look back in 10 years and be like, wow, that brother, that brother, that brother, that brother. And your families have shared life together, your wives, you and these guys. You've gone through situations and circumstances. You've helped one another navigate, deal with challenges. And so in a sense, that can also be one spiritual father.
It's phenomenal. I, you know, I think for many of us, some of the younger pastors here, we, we look at the friendship and the bonds between the elders, the senior leaders, and those who have served here for so long, and we admire the idea of walking with people faithfully for 30-plus years. So, Lamont, I thought that answer is so phenomenal because the lesson that I've learned is that I am, I am always looking to learn. Amen. Whether that's from Pastor Duke and marriage prep, whether that's when Lamont and I go to get coffee, whether it's when I chat with JC in the lobby, I'm always looking to glean from these people. Now, I don't know that they would all claim me as their son, but I'm claiming them as my father, right? And so I am, I am active in my pursuit of it. Um, for those of us on the topic of spiritual father, we all have worldly fathers as well. And we all know the effects of our parents leave fingerprints on us our whole lives. The way, we're, the way we think, the way we live, the habits, the traditions that we uphold. Um, how do we overcome the, the negative effects of our worldly fathers, the gaps that are there? How do we as men that are trying to basically get the, 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 uh, the altars of Baal and the Asherah pole out of our house... How do we do that? What's the first step to that? What's the second step to that? The first step is doing like Pastor Chris said, not blaming your parents, which means you're going to have to forgive them. And one of the, one of the commandments is honor your father and your mother that it might go well, go well with you. That scripture does not say honor your godly father, honor your godly mother. It doesn't say Honor your perfect father, honor your perfect mother. It says, honor your father and your mother that it might go well with you. And to honor someone is to not constantly dwell on what they did not do right, where they fell short, how they scarred you, marred you, what have you. But to honor someone is to confer respect upon them, esteem, regardless, because all of us are flawed. I mean, that's why Jesus had to come to the cross. And as Pastor Duke has pointed out, God uses all, all relationships. Because quite frankly, God uses the relationship of Judas as Iscariot to affect our redemption. Because if he hadn't sold Jesus, hey, we don't know what would have happened. But all the relationships that we encounter are for a reason. God, I, I refer to God as the divine economist. He doesn't waste anything. He uses everything for our good, works it all out. So forgiveness of your parents, regardless of how short you feel like they should, what shortcomings they may have had, you got to forgive them, you got to honor them, that it might go well with you in life. And you don't, we have to keep in mind, too, that God has given us a spirit of adoption. There's, again, there is something that the Holy Spirit is able to make known to our hearts that hopefully this, this weekend has uh, watered the desire in you, stoked the fire in you for that reality to be worked more deeply into your life. And it's something you can ask God for. We have to be, we have to forgive. Where there is opportunity, I think we also heard today, we need to be reconcilers. We need to actually go and be bridge builders, trying to restore what maybe has never been there before. I, I spoke with someone here earlier, and they were talking about how they had a bad relationship with their father, but that's been worked through now, and they have a good relationship with their dad, uh, largely probably because he had come to a place of faith in Christ, and that had, had initiated something. So I think we have a responsibility to forgive. I think we have a responsibility to reconcile, and I think we always have a responsibility to ask God to reveal more deeply his fatherhood in our life. That's great. And then how do we keep ourselves from falling into those patterns, those things that might seem like, man, I'm just, it's just what I do. I'm just, I'm just this way. My dad was this way. His dad was this way. This is just what it is for us. How do we break that mindset and come out of that to redefine the legacy we leave for our children? So, so the enemy would have us think that my situation so uniquely broken you don't know what happened to me. That somehow I'm beyond God's power. That sounds ridiculous, right? God's power, none of us is beyond God's power. 
for healing. None of us. So don't fall into the trap of that lie. You know, we, we, we can, we can have, have a little competition about how bad was your upbringing, how bad was mine, okay? All right, see so who's got the worst story? It doesn't matter. There's nothing that happened in my life as bad as I used to think it was that's too big for God. It just, that's what I've, I've learned, right? So when I got to Grace and, and met Pastor Duke, Pastor Brett, these guys, you know, I was, a, I was looked good on the outside, completely broken on the inside by my upbringing, right? Completely broken. But God, in his grace, put me on a journey here in this church to slowly be delivered from that. And it was in steps. And I remember the last, it was kind of in like three or four or five steps. I remember the moment of the last step. I, we were in the old Grace Building. And I don't know if y'all know Pastor Donnell Jones. He preaches uh, in our D.C. He runs our D.C. church. But there was an altar call like we had here earlier today. And I went down front. And he laid his hand on my chest. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And he prayed over me. And there was this final spiritual releasing and healing off of me. And in that moment, I, rec- I remember I fully forgave my father and my mother. It was a moment. I had, a, you know, one of those watershed moments. And, 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 and then I began to understand, you know, my father did the things he did because he had his own demons. And guess what? His father had his own demons, and his father had his own demons. And I made a decision to answer AJ's question. It stops here. It stops here. I made that conscious decision. One illustration, well, not an illustration, but as Pastor Chris told the story of Gideon, one thing that really struck me was Gideon, the last of his family in the smallest tribe, was still able to go and find 10 men, just like that, right? What role do other men have in your life? So not necessarily spiritual fathers, but your peers, the men that you walk with day to day. What's their role? And more importantly, how do I find them? You know, I came to this conference by myself because I know I need to be here. My wife told me I had to go. I'm not allowed home unless I come back with a wristband, right? Uh, (laughs) And so I've been here, and I've been getting this word, and it's good word, man, and I'm grateful for the pastors, but... I still feel like a one-man army out here. Where do I find it? How do I get it? What do I need to do to get those 10 men around me? Um, Go to Wednesday Small Group. (laughs) (laughs) You do need to find a small group to participate in so you can share your life. Uh, As I said earlier, isolation is the recipe for defeat. And, uh, and for us as men, we've, we've got, we have to fight against that mindset of isolation and realize that there are guys here just like you who really want relationship, don't necessarily know how to do it. But my admonition to you would be humble yourself. Don't feel like you got to be perfect. Don't feel like you got to do it a certain way. Just find somebody, and, and, and this is one of the, the, the beautiful things about the God whom we serve. Nothing is too difficult for him. So, which means if you ask him, he can direct you to those with whom you can develop relationship. And as a son, he wants you to have relationships. I mean, family, sonship, relationship, that wasn't our idea. That was God's idea. Amen. So we know that we can ask him. And we know that he's going to answer us. So I want if if you don't go away from here with anything else, go away knowing that as a son, you can ask your father for that which is in line with his will. And he is going to answer. So, he's going to answer you. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. I just I just think that the, the avenues for community, the access community in this church are really, they're small groups. Pastor AJ oversees that and be something that if you have questions about that, if you wonder where there's a group that's meeting, there are men's groups. I know there are men's Bible studies, purple book studies that meet here on Saturday and maybe other times during the week that I'm not familiar with. There's also avenues of joint places where men serve together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, ushers, uh, the guys who work out in the parking lot. 
these are men who you can develop relationships with mm -hmm. by finding the common ground of doing something Perfect. with them together. Say so we fellowship. Another mentor I had years ago said we fellowship at the level of our shaman, our, our, our commonly shared experience. Yeah. So where you find common experience with other guys is going to be the place seedbeds for where relationships can grow. That's so good. And I'll just tell this one story. I know I'm not supposed to talk a lot because you all are wiser than me. But I was at a men's event. This was years ago when David Hermes was over the men's ministry before this building was built. And we had a men's breakfast. It was a Saturday morning. Uh, and it was upstairs next door. And I, you know, I get there. It's 930. And everyone's kind of sitting there quiet. The men just just eating. Like a little bit of talking here and there, but just eating. And uh, it must have been the Holy Spirit because I turned to David and I said, hey, man, you should put on like ESPN or something. Just like put the TV on, do something. He said, but, but I want the men to talk. I said, yeah, but just, just, just try. So he puts the screen down, puts ESPN on, and I'll tell you what, the conversation just exploded, right? Because we connect, men connect by doing something together. What, what is really hard is for me and Pastor Duke, if we don't have a relationship, just to sit neck across and how was your day? Like, I don't want, it's just, that's not how we connect. But you put us side by side, looking at something, working together, serving together, the relationship blossoms. So if we go down the avenue of, you know, I'm just going to try to force it face to face, maybe that's not the avenue we best connect with. Maybe we need to get in mission together, which takes me to uh, my next question, which is this. Another thing uh, Pastor Chris said was, um, we were here to solve a problem. We're here for a mission. We've got to be on our mission, and these things will come out of, of being focused on our mission. Well, what if we don't know what our mission is? What if he said that, and I, and I yes, I rallied to that, but what's, what's my mission? What would you tell the men here about what their mission is? Can we circle back on the, yeah. the, the, the 10 men for one second? Um, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy, I, I think I know a lot. I think I got it. You know, I, I got a lot. And, and really, I can do all this by myself. I can do my job. I can be the husband. I can raise the kids. I can run the house. I can get the, get the cars running. I really don't need anybody else. I could sit at home and, you know, I'm okay. And maybe none of you are like that. But for me, you know, I, I can handle it. And so, what, but what I learned when I became a Christian is that as Duke went off to Vietnam, do we send one guy to fight a battle? No. See, there's no Rambo, right? And we are in a battle. I learned that the hard way on the doorstep of divorce where I was never going to see my kids again. We're in a battle. The enemy wants to steal my marriage. He wants to break my relationship. Let me have a, he wants me to have a broken relationship with my son, with my daughter. He wants me to go around with a facade, acting like everything's okay, when really inside it's not. I'm in a battle. And so I can't tell you how to go find your men. But I can tell you this, if you have an awareness and recognition that you don't go into battle by yourself, get desperate for needing some men. And they're here. They're in this body. But I'm going to warn you, you're not that smart. You're not that strong. And you're not that talented. Do you have an enemy, as Rice Brooks says, you cannot fight an unseen foe, and I don't care how smart you are and how talented you are. You will lose this battle if you fight it alone. So get some brothers. I think, we're, I think in terms of determining where your mission is, uh, look at where you're at. Because if you're married, particularly if you're married, if you're a father, you've got you've got more mission than you know what to do with right there. But it's seeing it as mission is what the real issue is. Mm. You've got mission where you are at work. Yeah. 
but it is seeing it as mission is where oftentimes what the change that needs to occur. It's not that we lack mission. We may not see what's in front of us as being the mission field, the place of mission that God wants to show you how to flourish in and how to bring the kingdom of God into. And that is our mission wherever we find ourselves. And that's why you don't need to do this thing alone because there's some, other people have a vantage point and a perspective that will help inform your own. And one of the main things that causes people to go into depression is that they constantly are in their own head. They're listening to their own narrative. And as a result, they find themselves down in the doldrums and they don't have somebody to lift them out. So guys, lock arms with somebody else. Don't do this alone because the enemy, this, this is the thing. The enemy knows divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Let me get them isolated. You look at the animal kingdom. How does the predator get his prey? He finds somebody to get isolated from the pack and eats them up. And that's exactly how the enemy will do with us. Amen, JC. That is a trick. It's a trick. Don't fall for it. That's it. Um, I have a question here uh, regarding marriage topic you have touched on many times. And so tell me about... um, we're, we're going through a shift. We're understanding our sonship. We're growing in our faith. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going we're gonna to do this thing. Um, when I got married, Pastor Jim Critcher told me, uh, your first disciple is your wife. And that kind of put me back in my chair for a second because I never thought of it like that. How do we do these things for those who are married or dating or in relationship? How do we do these things? How do we disciple the women in our lives? And what if they're wrestling with their faith? What if they're, you know, for many of us, our wives are the ones who are like the, the pillars of hope for us. And we look to them in their faith and we're, we're encouraged by that. But for others, we may feel like we're hanging on and they're not there at all. How do we walk through this thing as leaders, as men? in faith with a spouse or a significant other. I'm, I'm reminded of a, another humorous story about the guy who said something to his wife and then didn't see her for two weeks and then saw her a little out of one eye. So you have to be real careful. <laughs> you have to be real careful. When you regard your wife as your disciple, because the thing that generally we as men think of when we think of being a disciple maker is we become the primary corrector, teacher, uh, discipliner, and anyone who's been married more than about two weeks, well, you won't see her for two weeks. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure what all Pastor Jim was trying to say with that. I know that one of the things we have to be, if we're going to be anything at all to, in terms of our, in the, we've got to be a leader. And we've got to be a leader who has, who has been, who, who recognizes the importance of, first of all, example. Second of all, of listening. Any good leader, I learned back in speech 101 in college that the key to effective communication is empathy. We've got to empathize with the person that we're leading. So I would just say, if you're going to regard your wife as a disciple, do so with great care and trepidation. (laughs) But if you are, to do so with the idea of, I'm going to help lead this woman by my own example and by drawing her into a relationship whereby we can grow together in our relationship with Christ. Excellent. Excellent. I'm not going to touch that because my <laughs> wife can outpray me. She's prophetic. She's, I mean, I, she's not my disciple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll leave that one alone. Okay, if you are if you are Uh, have a spouse whose faith is wavering? Let me ask this question more directly. Uh, You're the spiritual head of the household, so we'll take the disciple word out. How do you walk through that? 
Hypothetically. Hypothetically. That's not my question. Don't. This, <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. The, but is this sure? Okay. I know, Michelle. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is this is one of the things I was just talking to a brother about. This is that us as men regaining, reclaiming our position of authority, leadership, headship, and to me, there's no greater place to demonstrate that than in the place of prayer, because prayer is where things really get changed and, and transformed and transacted. And so if my wife is floundering or if there's something going on in her life, the first thing I'm going to do for her is pray. I'm not going to try to counsel her. I'm not going to try to exhort her or anything. I'm going to pray because why, I want to hear if the father has something to say to me for her. I'm not just trying to come up with my nice ideas and flowery words and everything. It's God. She's your daughter first and foremost. And so you've given me stewardship of walking with her, walking alongside her and helping her grow in her relationship with you. So I know that you desire a relationship with her more than I desire one for her to have with you. So help me to hear you so I can be a vessel to use by you. How have you um, overcome either addictions, spiritual battles, uh, struggles with different things? I mean, you know, whatever your thing is, or as you have walked with men, as I know you all have done, and discipled men, and and helped them get out of habit into uh, a life of freedom. If you could, you have, you know, you've, you've got a minute or so, someone who says, man, I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. I'm an alcoholic. I'm whatever. Give them a, give them a framework, where to start. Where, are where are to... these coming in on text? Just curious. These are all my personal questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> just, just curious. No, because I know we yeah, have yeah. the texts. Yes, yes, text yes. These are, these are texts. Yeah. Oh, these are texts. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, you know. When I first got saved uh, and got married, I, 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 I was, you know, I was just living the life, 35, met, I don't know if you know my wife, Pat Williams, you know, she was fabulous. Um, she said, hey, if you want to talk to me, you're going to have to come to church. I was like, well, okay, fine. So I went to her church, but, it, but she didn't go to church once a week. She went to church like multiple times a week. So my buddies were like, what? What are you doing? Right. So, so. But we, you know, I, I fell in love with her. We got married, right? But that didn't mean because I had just gotten saved and we had just gotten married that that 35 years suddenly disappeared. All the stuff that I had been doing came with me. You know, I brought a lot of baggage. I mean, like a whole truckload of baggage, right? And, and some of that needed, I needed to be delivered from. And so I, I'm only wanting to answer AJ's question by saying that, there, that God's still doing miracles. And, and I experienced one, uh, more than one, but I experienced one where he delivered me from something that I needed to be delivered from. So whether uh, the question is regarding whatever kind of addiction or whatever kind of bad habit um, that you feel like you're under bondage to, I understand that, been there, Right. But it is true that God is still doing miracles today. Mm-hmm. He really is. And, and I do believe in personal experience and that he would do this for you, that if you cry out to him and you get on your knees and you cry out to him daily, he will deliver you. The, the, the thing that sticks out in my mind most, he didn't deliver me from this one area for five years from the day I got married. It took five years. And I always wondered, like, and I was, I was seeking him all the time. To, you know, I want to get rid of this thing, Lord. I, want, I don't want it anymore. Five years? And I was like, why did, I always look back, why did God take, he could have delivered me in five minutes. But, but I've finally come to understand, he wanted me to have an appreciation that, that it was him. That he was in it. That he just, that, that I had to labor with him. I had to continue to cry out to him. I had to labor with him in this. I had to continue to trust him and trust him and trust him. And then, poof, it was gone. I would just add to that by saying if you're at a place where you really are 
desiring meaningful change in your life. Uh, the way I've put it with people before, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, then you're at a place where God can begin to help you. And when you're at that place, then you can seek help from leadership in this church. You can seek help through a small group leader. You can seek help through one of the pastors. Info at gracecub.org, you would have to just simply say, I'm really struggling with somebody. I'd like to talk with one of the pastors, one of the leaders. You would get put in touch with them. And you can begin to unpack what's going on and lay out a track whereby God can begin to meet you miraculously, with power, but also with what we started with, with, with the idea of change, mm-hmm. transition, Amen. of things becoming, of, because God wants to use what he's bringing you out of to form something more deeply in you. Mm-hmm. He wants Amen. to bring you out, but he wants to form you at the same time. Amen. JC, a couple of rapid fire questions here. The first one is for you. How do you know when you are acting with courage versus taking on too much risk? Man, we want to live bold lives. We want to be out there on the mission, do the call of God. We want to be courageous. How do we know when we're being courageous versus being just wild, a little bit too risky? One of the things that I, I, I again, try to do regularly is just stay in prayer. Um, Because talking about leadership, leadership can be good. Leadership can be bad. What makes leadership good is birthed out of God. God is at the center of it. What makes it bad, man is at the center of it. Look at Matthew chapter 16 or 18, wherever Peter, Peter gets the revelation of who Jesus is. And then, great, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But then right after that, he says to Jesus, Jesus tells him what's going to happen. Peter says, hey, no, God forbid that that should ever happen to you, Lord. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter was trying to lead Jesus in a way that was contrary to what God was saying the father was saying and so for for us we've got to stay constant in prayer and we've got to stay in that word because if you just pray all the time and you're not in the word you get weird very weird but if you just are in the word all the time and you don't pray you get very cold and hard and unsympathetic and unempathetic. And so we got to have both of them and one of the things I wrote early on in my Christian walk the 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 goal of ministry is to remain constant in prayer and faith, both of which have to be founded upon the word. Both have to be founded on the word. And so that's where I would derive my courageousness from is being in prayer mixed with that word. And that builds in me a faith that will cause me to do things that I wouldn't do in and of myself. That's great. Pastor Duke, this one's for you. How do you lead the family and your wife when you need to make a tough decision that she and the kids are not going to be on board with? How do you lead your family and your wife when you need, you know, I got to make this tough call, but she and the kids, they're not going to be happy about it. Well, I think you're going to have to, anytime you're facing that kind of an issue, you're going to have to look at how you're building. Because what you always want to be able to do is be able to turn to your wife especially and incorporate her, draw her alongside, and look at that kind of a situation together. If you're facing that kind of an obstacle, that kind of a change, if something radical is going on in your life that you have no control over that are going to deeply affect your wife and your children... You want to first of all bring your wife into an understanding of what is going on. You want to come together and begin to pray together. That may be a great, maybe what God's using to catalyze something between you and her in terms of touching Him together. And then once you've been able to begin to find that kind of unity and agreement, you can turn to the children. And you can begin to lay out something of your vision, something of what it is you understand God is doing in it, and invite them to come up and and join you in it. But it's going to be a process. It's going to be something you're going to have to to layer. And I would just, one verse I rely on a lot is James 1, 3, or 4. If any man lacks wisdom, Mm -hmm. let him ask God who will give it generously. And in those kinds of situations, you want to turn to your heavenly Father from whom wisdom comes, and he will give it generously, and he'll show you how to, how to proceed in those things. Great. Okay, Lamont, for you. I hear Pastor Brett talking about be healthy, eat right, work out, 
you got it figured out. Help me figure it out. I can't start that habit. Is it really that important? Is it really that important? Help us. Do I have to go to the gym? Do I have to eat well? You know, I, I, I worked out. Um, this is my 50th year of working out. It's my 50th anniversary. This concludes our panel. So thank you. <laughs> okay. I don't want to hear any more. And, and, and I told my wife, I said, I feel like I need to have some kind of milestone celebration or something, right? Right. But I started when I was 14. I'm 64 now. Um, and, 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 and <laughs> is that important, y'all? That answered the question. <laughs> and I and I worked out all at first, or for, really for all those years, because that was what I did, I guess you know. But but here's the to try to get to your question. Recently, about ten years ago, uh, a good friend of mine here at the church passed away, and. I uh, helped the family through their time of difficulty, and it was very, very difficult. But I came out of that time of helping them, recognizing that, you know what? I need, really need to take care of myself, no longer for myself, yeah. for my wife, wow. and for my kids. And so now I take care of myself. Because I want to postpone as long as possible the time when my wife is going to be put in that situation and my son and my daughter. They need me to take care of them. I, I take care of them. And I don't mean spend the money. I take care clap of them. They need Come on, man. Let's clap for that. Let's really clap for that. So I would encourage you that that's the motive that matters. That's phenomenal. Um, okay. Our last question, I want to give you all a moment to just share your parting thoughts, whether it's an observation from the conference you think needs to be drilled back home, whether it's something you wish you had a chance to say but didn't, whether it's advice your father gave you that you hold, whatever your, your moment here to leave some parting thoughts in these men that would be a big takeaway from you to them, what would you tell them? No pressure. <laughs> I would, I would tell them that this is something I feel like I got from my father, the father. That the tactic of our adversary is deception. He's always trying to get you to buy into a lie. But his strategy, his end game, is separation from the father. He's always trying to get sons separated from their father. And the way he does that is by feeding us lies. He did it with Adam. The enemy lied to Adam and Eve and said, hey, if you do this, you're going to be like God. And they were already like God. The only thing that God didn't want them to have is the knowledge of evil. But because they listened to him, they bought the lie. They were separated from the father. It didn't happen with the second Adam. Jesus said, I always do what my father says. I only do what I see my father doing. And that's, as sons, that's the sonship that God has called us to. That's great. Thank you. Pastor Duke of Lamont, your parting thoughts. Um, I would say that um, my kids are in their 20s now. And I had a hard job uh, career-wise. I'm retired. Um, been married 30 years or 31 this year. Uh, the hardest thing I've ever done was being a husband. And the hardest thing I've ever done was being a dad. Had a hard job, but the hardest thing I've ever done is being a, being a, being a husband and being a dad. And I had a lot of limitations because I didn't have a healthy family background. And so the, what I want my parting uh, inspiration from God to you is that it doesn't matter what limitations you came into this time with. It doesn't matter. They're not too big for God to grant you the great life that you're looking for, to be the husband that you want to be, and to be the dad 
that you want to be. Stick with God. Stick with Christ. Trust him. He will bring about to pass the fullness of your life as a husband and as a dad as you hope it to be. It doesn't matter what's in your background. He can handle it. I would just say there's been such a level of anointing on the last day and a half. God doesn't do that. He doesn't meet us in that way unless he intends to take what's been deposited and use it, nurture it, grow it. Go out of this place with an expectation that causes you to press back into the things that the Holy Spirit really impressed on you. It wasn't the whole thing, but there have been moments. There have been things that God brought to your mind. Have an expectation that those are seeds he's planted and he wants you to water and cultivate them and to address him with expectation that he's going to bring forth the very things that he wants you to, to come into. Amen. Nope. Amen. On behalf of, you can clap for them. On behalf of uh, the pastors, the lay leaders, the men of this house, young and old, our understanding of what a father looks like, what a husband looks like, what a man of God looks like, has been intimately shaped by the three of you and others but you're the ones that are here right now. And I want to thank you deeply because it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a lot of men to raise these knuckleheads like myself up into something bigger and better than what we thought we could and should be. So for living right, for loving your wives well, for pursuing God with integrity, for being an example and leading us, let me just say thank you. And would you guys thank them again for everything that they've done for us.